0: That is douglas.ca slash This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. There is an incredible facility right here in downtown Toronto that is helping on the front lines and is doing incredible innovative research. They are a facility that treats everybody with dignity and they need your help. May 6th to 12th is Mental Health Week. If this matters to you, Help CAMH. There's no better place for your resources. Go to CAMH.ca slash Canada Land and donate now. Help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. one of the best brains out there one of my favorite brains belongs to Sheila Hetty. Sheila is of course very very smart and you know wildly creative but she's also weird my dad actually once told me that hungarians are all crazy Sheila is idiosyncratic sort of alien in other uh, at times shocking and scandalous and yet she's very innocent and childlike the world has figured this all out about Sheila's brain she has become something of a big deal in the last uh, year or so I've been lucky enough to know her as a friend she's a dear friend someone I'll be grateful to for the rest of my life Sheila introduced me to the girl I married uh, and she remains one of my very favorite people to have a conversation with I've been waiting for the chance to talk with her on this show and I'm going to do so in just a moment with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash Canada Land to claim this offer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and uh, it's available here in Canada. And this time of year, we're all emerging from our, our winter like seclusion and uh, you know, patio season and, and socializing, and it can be terrifically fun, but it can also create a lot of pressure. And some people get like anxiety, social anxiety from being out too much. What did Iggy Pop say about social life? It's torture dressed as fun. It doesn't need to be torture. I think it's just about finding like the right balance uh, of, of how much of other people do you want. I mean, we need each other, but I think that at a certain point it can become overwhelming. And talking to somebody about yourself, about your social life, about your relationships um, is a way of gaining insight into what is right for you. It's not selfish to examine that with a professional. And as the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Listeners of the show get 10% off of their first month at BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand. That's Better H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand. I have one sponsor that supports everything I do with Canada Land and the name of that sponsor is freshbooks.com. Freshbooks is simply the best solution out there for your billing, your invoicing, your accounting. It is a cloud-based service. I use it, you should too. You can try it out for free for 30 days and it's at freshbooks.com. Um, I still haven't read your book. What? That's such bullshit. <laughs> I haven't, and this is why I haven't read it, so I could talk to you about it for the show without having read it.
1: That is, like, the worst excuse I've ever heard.
0: (laughs) No, it's this is somebody I've never cited before as, like, a role model for interviewing, but Larry King...
1: <laughs>
0: Larry yes. King would do no research whatsoever. And his rationale was the viewer doesn't know who this person is, so it's better if I'm really curious, if I know everything about them. And I, I, Can I just I,
1: say, I think that he did research at the beginning of his career?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think he became like demented towards the end and just didn't.
1: <laughs> but you're starting there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a good strategy when you're interviewing a writer of books. Nobody reads books anymore. I don't care. You could win the Giller, whatever the booker, like no one out there will have read Have it. you
1: read my articles?
0: Yeah, I've read some articles. I yeah, read a lot of right. articles.
1: You don't read your friend's books is the real truth. <laughs> we all know this about you.
0: I also don't read my friend's books because I... I you
1: don't want to lose esteem for them. I
0: yeah. have this friend. It's working well. It's a chaotic element to throw into it. I don't know what this is going to do to that.
1: If I have a friend, I'm interested in their work.
0: It sucks if somebody's interviewing an author and then it's just like... Then it's just like a fan. talk. Like, oh, I like the part where this... Or how did you come up with that? And uh, if you, well,
1: we'll see. We'll see if If you haven't
0: read it, then what do you give a shit? Like, it's the worst kind of interview.
1: We'll see. We'll see if this is the best kind of interview. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which, of course, you would be able to judge because you listen to my podcast every week.
1: I've listened to it. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> and I'm still your friend. <laughs> I'll be a little disappointed.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well.
1: I thought the way that you psychoanalyzed Catherine Burrell was a little much.
0: Yeah. I felt like a dick about that interview. Like, Like listening to it afterwards, I felt like – and it wasn't like – Oh, I've exposed myself as a dick to, like, the people who listen to this podcast. I felt like, oh, I'm, like, a dick to my friend. Like, this is how I always talk to her. Yeah. In our conversations, I feel like, oh, I really like the, the <laughs> chatter with Catherine. I like the, the banter. I feel witty when I talk to Catherine. And I'm like, I oh, don't know. I'm just an asshole.
1: <laughs> you really like putting her down.
0: <laughs> yeah. With her boyfriend. And he was like, yeah, he's got a good point. I know. I
1: was like, what's Graham doing, ganging up on Cat? I felt, I was like, I was just, this is ridiculous. Uh, I wrote her an angry email afterwards. You did? Yeah.
0: Oh, for taking it.
1: Yeah. Well, and just, like, angry at you.
0: But you know that I love (laughs) Catherine. I know. Yeah. It's a major criticism I've received about the show is, like, the self-indulgence of thinking that people want to hear me talk to my friends.
1: Right. Those are my favorite kind of podcasts. Like, I just found another one the other day called Black Girls Talking. And it's, like, four girls – who are all friends and they're just talking and they're so funny and they like make each they crack each other up and you listen to it and you just start laughing because like they're having such a good time and you by proxy have a good time but all their talk but they're ta- just like talking about media stuff they're just talking about like celebrities
0: yeah that's the best radio to me but and, I
1: love it uh, yeah and it's better than listening to I don't know some CBC kind of
0: yeah, you know, which is it's a formal
1: own, radio show. Right.
0: Where where it's this almost like a simulation of a conversation like. Yeah. My like primary concern is like it should just talk, sound like people talking. And and I don't know, there's like there's- Usually
1: when we're talking you talk a lot more. You talk a lot more if we're actually out for lunch. Yeah. The proportion of you talking to me talking is quite different from how it is in this studio. Like I'm amazed at how much I'm I'm getting to talk here. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will edit that out later because it's my show. So how should a person be? You call it a novel from life, which has this suggestion of journalism about it, and yet you have like the cover, the protection of, of of calling it a work of fiction. And I'm just interested in what you call things and the extent to which what you're doing is a form of journalism, like this new book you're working on, uh, this project about motherhood.
1: Yeah, but that's so far away. But the in-between book is this women in clothes book. Uh-huh which is which uses the vo- we sent out surveys to 500 women and we we're using their voices.
0: Yeah. Like you do what journalists do. Like you go out and talk to people and write down what they say and then format it into stories and vignettes and anecdotes and thematically link it. Like you you seem to do the work of a journalist in, with a lot of your projects.
1: That's interesting. Well, I guess so, but I don't like being beholden to telling that what really happened. Like I don't want anyone to say Yeah. Like that didn't really actually happen that way because that seems like very high stakes to me. Like if I'm – right, I hate writing journalism because I don't ever have that feeling like I can tell the truth about what happened because I know how much one makes up in recollection. Like I know how untrustworthy one's own observations are of reality.
0: You want the cover of fiction because then all bets are off. You can do whatever you want.
1: Well, no. I call it How Should a Person Be Fiction because a lot of it is – fucking made up like it is fiction. I like those categories cuz I think that you it's it's more interesting to play within a category than to play within no category. Yeah. Yeah. So for me it's it's useful. It's useful to think here's poetry, here's a novel, here's a magazine article, here's an interview and play formally in those than to just say there's one thing. Yeah. There's or there's nothing. I like the idea of like any kind of rebellion against form but you can't do that if there is no form. Like, it's just not fun.
0: I feel like the word journalism is poison for you, and it comes with all kinds of strictures that you, like, refuse to place around your stuff. And I have the exact same response to the word art. Like, get away from me. I don't want it. I don't want there to be a shred of doubt in my audience's mind that what I'm telling them isn't true.
1: I think you don't want to call it art because you're not actually making... Like you're not you don't you don't self-identify in any way as an artist. Like you, self-identify as a journalist. Why would you call it art?
0: What any journalist does to some extent, you're doing what storytellers do, what artists do. You're 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 casting. You're figuring out the setting. You're deciding what to talk about. Uh, You're you're writing dialogue when you write your questions. At least half of the dialogue. I mean, there's so much that's manipulated. Us talking, having this conversation in this room is just like a complete contrivance. You and I have conversations all the time, and we're both kind of like party to the exercise of trying to replicate that in some way. But we're, you know, performing an artificial ritual Yes, because we
1: never talk about this kind of thing. We talk about our relationships. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did
0: you catch the whole Steingart thing? No. I don't know. I just want to know what you have to say about this. So Gary Steingart, the very funny American novelist in some New York magazine thing was drunk and he had just, I think, been a juror for the Giller, I think. And he said something like an offhand comment that like somebody said, like, do you think we should have better arts funding in the States? And he goes, oh, God, no. I just had to read a million Canadian books and they're so boring. And I think it's because of the grants or something to that right. effect. Okay. And of course, everybody spat out their tea instantly. Right and attacked him on twitter yeah yeah and you know and did
1: he start saying like was he did he get, become contrite and say like well who are some good canadian writers cuz i seem to remember things on twitter about people telling him who good canadian writers were
0: <laughs> i don't think he i don't think he solicited that i think it was offered to him right, right. people were like oh we don't take chances what about so and so and what about so and so and he sort right. of like he apologized in the way that you were like I don't care enough about this to fight with you. Right. right. He apologized, like, okay, Canadians, uh, I'm right. I'm sorry I've upset you. And then he right. said, I was in a drunken stupor, just like Mayor Ford. Right. Right. Um, and then you know he later said, no, I stand by it. You know, like right, it's true. Right. Uh, I don't think he stood by necessarily the rationale that he was given.
1: Well, I'm sure there are like a ton of shit books that you have to read on any jury. Mm-hmm. And I think what's annoying about it probably is that it came from an American because what's annoying about American literary culture is they way overestimate their heroes, way overestimate, but they don't even see that they're doing that. What do you mean? Well, like you take any uh, contemporary American writer that that everyone's in love with or you take 90% of them and it's complete overestimation just because Americans always overestimate their own. They overestimate their own about everything.
0: Give me an example of somebody. Well, I, I actually don't know.
1: Well, Jonathan Franzen, for instance. Right. The greatest living writer on time. Like, give me a break. Like, that's a huge overestimation.
0: Yeah. Like, they just, you just mean that, like, the literary hype machine just.
1: And America's hype machine in general. Like, that's what America does is it, like, it It takes what it has. and It, it just, it, it puts every exclamation mark after it. Mm-hmm. So they do that with their writers too. And you go and you read these writers that Americans are so proud of. And yeah, they're fine like, but they're not what the Amer with you know, American criticism or book criticism or book reviews make them out to be. So, for Can- for Canadians to hear an American saying, "I just read a bunch of shit Canadian books," it's a, it's particularly annoying because all we hear is how great everything in America is when the truth is like, yeah, I mean, there's some good American writers and most of them are like, yeah. okay. And then like the same, same anywhere in any country you go to, like maybe there'll be a few, a handful of good writers and the rest of them will be kind of like, meh.
0: I think that's interesting. I agree with you that they do that, but I don't know if it's a bad thing. Like you've got a machinery there that is constantly asking this question, which is who is the next great novelist? Um, <laughs> Which is like a very—it's a bad thing because it's a lie. Like, I guess so, but but it's in a constant state of like the assumption there is that is that there will be one and that there will always be one and, and and that we should find them and celebrate them. We should constantly be hunting for talent, which is like a very good model for creating kind of a vibrant. Yeah, it's better
1: than Canada, where where every anybody's just like, what's that, Alice Monroe? thing? who do you think you are? Like it, that environment is better. But like what it does is it creates. Like, it creates a lot of false heroes. Yeah. Like, a lot of false geniuses, a lot of false great artists. It creates a lot of real ones, too, but also a lot of false ones. Whereas Canada doesn't create any, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I don't know. So it's it's a very different culture on that level.
0: Do you feel that they did that to you? What? You sort of got entered into the American hype machine to some extent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It hadn't... I hadn't asked myself that question. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how things roll and accumulate. And there's just that, like, law of accumulation. Once something starts accumulating, it it accumulates much more rapidly.
0: Sources would sort of parrot each other, and once a certain critic had said something, then other people would chime in. I almost felt like there's a narrative to the half-life of a book or of an author where I was watching as you got – you know, the New Yorker write-up. And it was kind of an indifferent or rather like a a conflicted account. But what was louder than anything that was in the actual write-up was that you were important. And there there was this big picture of you. And then there was this question as to whether or not you're like the next great thing or some sort of a charlatan. And that seemed to inspire this gender debate where uh, writers were saying, these men...
1: Don't get her book. They don't get her book
0: and they don't get women and they don't get female writers. And And then other people... And there was almost like a race of like... Who could sort of, like, write you off as, you know, pointless or self-indulgent and who could defend you? And, and there, were, there was, like, a little war about it. Right. And then there was this other chapter to your success where suddenly, like, it almost felt like you got kind of set up on, like, a weird theme date with Lena Dunham. You got right. packaged with girls. Where it's right. like, oh, this is a cultural moment we're having that right. is most evoked by how should a person be? And girls. And girls. I always wondered like, to what extent there was some PR person orchestrating these things.
1: I don't know. Oh, no. I mean, in terms of the girls thing and in terms of all that stuff, no one was orchestrating it. I just – I think that it just sort of happened. Yeah. And with the girls thing, it was complicated because I like Lena Dunham and I like her work. And I really, really was excited by Tiny Furniture when I saw it, which was before Girls came out. And we were corresponding and I was like, I love your – Thing and she'd read my book, The Canadian Edition, you know, before it came out in America because her mother read an article about me and it was like, You and Sheila should be friends. So, like, we actually had a mutual sympathy before all that stuff happened. So, right. then when it happened, my impulse was to be like, No, I don't accept that comparison. You know, this is a very frivolous comparison, but it was also complicated because I actually do really like the work, independent of all that stuff.
0: Right. And I did have a
1: fellow feeling with her, but not not in the ways or to the extent or like in the same way that people had been twinning them.
0: But you're in a difficult position because there's nothing negative about that association. I mean you're being associated with like the hottest thing on television right now.
1: I guess what was negative about it for me was she's a young woman, I'm a young woman, and so our books art artworks or whatever are put in the same category when i think there's men older people people from other countries where there could be a even greater similarity a greater correspondence between my book and that other like cultural artifact than girls but because we're both young white women we're made to be a part of the same artistic movement or something and i felt like it had much more to do with who we were than with the work and i could be wrong but that was my feeling about it well yeah
0: but i mean that's obvious like i would rather do like a photo spread with you and she together than like you and some like i don't know octogenarian argentinian novelist or something <laughs> like this is the moment um, yeah
1: but it's like well, what would you mean you would rather
0: if it was my job to kind of like constantly feed a publication, a website, you know, a magazine. But what
1: it does is it's just like, makes an ex, it's like this exceptional thing. Like a young woman is like, these two young women are making art. And it's like young women everywhere are making art. Like, (laughs) and and, it was more than
0: that. They're saying that they're making art about themselves, about their friends, trying to sort of deal with this kind of like raw conception of what their lives are actually like. There, There were more similarities than just the fact that you're both young women.
1: I know, but it did feel a little bit like, like these exotic animals. Yeah. And at least that's the way I felt and actually there's nothing exotic about it like young women make more art than anybody in the whole world like I think yeah, you know when it, I mean I think that the young women make probably more art than, than any other any other group of people alive
0: but that's a bit disingenuous because I mean I don't, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a charge I can like, I'm not even
1: really that young like she's 10 years younger than me
0: yeah the reason why is because we're really interested in, in young women. Like, yeah,
1: so that's why the whole thing was kind of annoying.
0: But to the question that, you know, Gawker levels against her or that, like, you know, the New Yorker sort of asks of your work, like, who really cares about you and your friends? The answer is a lot of people do because a lot of people would love to just be like a fly on the wall. But are
1: not her friends. Those are fictional characters in a TV matter. show. And I think it does matter.
0: But that's okay with me. Like, I, I am certainly more interested in a show that is just about the quotidian daily lives of a bunch of unremarkable 20-something women than I am about 60-year-old men. Like, right. I, I'm not going to watch that show. Right. You
1: know? <laughs> You're not going to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm?
0: Well, no, I'm going to watch that for other reasons. <laughs> but if it was actually just, like, Larry David, like, doing nothing, you That's know? That's what it is. But, yeah, you kind of got me there. I need more from Larry David to get me, you right. know, to, to spend time with him and his friends. They They all better be really funny comedians. And I don't really make the same demand of girls. Like... What was that thing I read about girls that, like, half of the audience, it turns out, are middle-aged men?
1: I don't know. I haven't looked at it from this point of view of, like, this is so titillating. This show is so titillating to middle-aged men. Right. Like, I haven't really even thought about that. I mean, anything involving females? Like, you could just say that that's titillating and that that's getting attention because it's titillating because it's females, which is exciting to men. Like, I don't know.
0: I think so. I think there is there, – like, the promise of that show when I tune in each week, and I do – is it is quasi pornographic you know it's
1: so bizarre cuz it's almost for like say that.
0: you're you're curious about like my big complaint about pornography is that like you don't know what happened preceding the sex or afterward when they try to recreate that in porn it's awful
1: so that's why you turn into the sh- tune into the show
0: sort of let me think about that i am not interested in girls because i i'm in love with the characters i'm not tuning into girls because I want to know what happens next. I don't, I could not care less what happens next. I'm not tuning into girls because I think it's so funny. I think it's sometimes funny. I think I'm tuning into it for like a prurient interest in that. What she does very, very well is it seems to be like an accurate document of what these people are like in their private moments.
1: The sex lives of young American women.
0: Just the lives of young American women. Like, I don't have access to hang out and hear the way that women actually talk when they're alone with each other. That's of prurient interest to me.
1: Why is that prurient? Like, why why is it prurient to know what young women – what women say to each other when
0: you're not around? Well, if you eroticize women –
1: But everything that a woman does is, like, in the realm of the erotic? Like kind of. Like, if two of. women are sitting talking about, like, renovations to their apartment or something, which is, like – it could conceivably be a a scene that's prurient like that because you have an erotic interest in women.
0: It's better if they're talking about sex, but yeah, that still works. I don't know. The Globe and Mail wrote this thing about you that was like, it was such a piece of Canadian writing. Right. You know, it was sort of saying that nobody loved you in Canada until you were big in the States. Right. But it was also covering its ass and like saying like, of course she was loved in Canada before she was loved in the States. A desire to both be knowing and arch, And kind of like above it all, but a cowardice about taking a position was what I got from that piece. Right? Like, can you like somehow achieve those things at once? (laughs)
1: Right. I don't know. For me, it was just like you know, Canada keeps telling the same story about its artists, and it's not untrue, but it's not the only story you can tell.
0: Yeah, and you sort of like you responded to that piece by telling a different story, telling the story of like Canadian art is not about. Necessarily just the Canadian art establishment that apart from the uh, can lit scene and the reviewers and, and, you know, the grants and everything else, there, there are artists making art, inspiring each other, supporting each other as they make art. Uh, and I, I don't know. I feel like you've sort of made it your business to keep very aloof of the Canadian art establishment and the Canadian literary establishment. Like, I remember having a conversation with you where you vowed to never apply for a grant, that you were going to do your work without having to rely on grants. Really? Yeah.
1: I've definitely applied and gotten grants.
0: Oh, oh, never mind.
1: I said I was not going to apply for grants? I
0: think you said that. Or maybe you were just like considering the concept that it was like not something, you know.
1: I seem to remember always having applied for grants. Yeah. And not having gotten them for a long time. Maybe I made that into some noble thing. Like, I don't, I'm not going to apply for grants only because I hadn't gotten them. (laughs) So I was like, I better turn this to my advantage.
0: (laughs) But now you apply for grants and get grants.
1: Well, I haven't recently, but yeah, I have. Like I have certainly in my twenties, like my mid to late twenties, I was Yeah. like anybody else, not getting most of them, but once in a while getting one.
0: What do you think of that idea that like, that that can affect the artwork?
1: I don't know. I kind of don't feel like it makes a difference if it comes from grants or if it comes from your books or if it comes from your parents or it comes from your job. Like, you need money to survive like any other bloody person. And, and you're going to make good art or bad art. Whether You're not going to make bad art if you're a good artist because you got $20,000 one year from the Canada Council. <laughs>
0: but you might tailor your project to what you think the Canada Council... You might tailor
1: your proposal. Uh-huh. But the Canada Council doesn't even look at your project when it's done. Yeah. You're more likely to tailor your art for the market than for... The, Canada Council.
0: Yeah, but there is no market. Like, we don't... The number of Canadian novelists who make, like, a living wage by selling books is incredibly small. So... In the absence of like that real market, there is a market. There is a way that writers make a living in Canada and that's through like a combination of all this stuff, a combination of grants and fellowships and prizes and teaching gigs and speaking engagements. And all of that is like about the decisions of the literary establishment and certain tastemakers and certain administrators who are part of the the arts scene or the arts establishment. So like you might tailor it to that market and – you know if if you are of the opinion that like Good and interesting art might piss off the last generation of artists. Then there might be something to the Steingart argument.
1: But if you're writing books that'll get you teaching gigs, that's not an interest. That's not an artist, or that's not an interesting artist, anyways. I agree. It's not an artist that, whose book I want to read that they wrote this book to get a teaching grant or position. And I don't even think people do that. Like I think people write the best books they can, the best the book they want to write. And some people get teaching gigs. I don't think anybody would just say, "I want a career." I only want to sell my books to other Canadian to Canadian readers. I don't think anybody thinks that. They think I want to sell my books to as many readers as I can wherever in the world I can. Like I don't think anybody's really trying to have a Canadian career.
0: Well, there is a whole canlit scene of books that are published in Canada and nowhere else that are Every about-
1: writer I know wants an American book deal. No one wants No one says I'm not going to try to have an American book deal. Everyone just everyone wants as much as they, as big an audience as they can have, I think.
0: Yeah, but I think that's just not a reality for the vast majority of people. So they do like it. Does feel doesn't it that a lot of these books are kind of like of a piece, you know? But that there's
1: culture, this... but that's a culture. Like, yeah, c- culture is allowed to exist. Like, there's allowed to be a Canadian such a thing as a Canadian culture. I guess. And that includes a certain kind of book, and that includes a certain kind of TV, whether we like it or not, whether we like Canadian TV or not, like. We know what we mean when we say Canadian TV.
0: Yeah. Even
1: even when you're six years old, you know the difference between Canadian TV and
0: American TV. But I would make the same argument about Canadian TV, that this is TV that is like – it's TV made to please the people who make decisions about Canadian TV. It's not TV made to please vast audiences.
1: You may be right. I mean I've heard that about Canadian TV.
0: Your orientation has always been to kind of like live here but write for the world. I don't know that that's everyone's orientation.
1: I think, I think it's everyone's orientation
0: to they want for it. the world. They want it.
1: Well, I couldn't get, I could never get any of my stories published in any Canadian journals. You know, I've I have always just had more response from the states. It wasn't like I wanted a career in America and, and a home in Canada. I wanted a home in America, but I'd never like let myself move. I mean, I just. I'm stuck in Toronto for some kind of weird emotional reasons, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and you actually thought I will live in the States, but it just never happened?
1: Well, I didn't think I would because I knew that I was like stuck here because of my own weird psych- psychology, you know? But
0: you could go tomorrow. Why don't you?
1: I always – because I have my family here, I have my boyfriend here. I, you know, like I just – I in my own head – it's just like, and now I like it here, you know? Right. But for, for certainly through my 20s, I was like, always had reasons. I mean, I had legitimate reasons to stay, but yeah. that had to do with family. But a lot of people have been
0: in their families. Yeah. And a lot of people leave with a bad taste in their mouths that, like, they were unrecognized here and that even though it's supposed to be so much more competitive there, people are more positive and helpful there and, and more negative here. But you've stayed here and, you know, you seem to have done so without, like, any of that bitterness.
1: I never expected anything. Like, I never thought I'm going to get a Giller and I never even wanted one, like, or a GG. Like, that's just not my mm-hmm. – it's not my romance or something.
0: What is was was being featured in the New Yorker romantic for you? For sure. Yeah.
1: Um, that was much more if, if I mean, I don't think that I thought one day I want to have a, my picture in the New Yorker, but if somebody had said, would you rather have your picture in the New Yorker or Giller, I would have said my picture in the New Yorker. <laughs> like I just, I have a different like se- sense of what's romantic or.
0: Yeah. I think like a lot of people, I get sort of a virtue amongst artists to say like, you don't even consider this shit and it's not even on your mind, but.
1: You, you don't think about when you're working, but like when you're not working, you you fantasize for sure. Everyone does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Does it bug you this like whatever kind of parochialism
1: no because I've been living in Toronto my whole life, so I'm just so used to it, and like i know I know what it what Canada is like i I went to a private school like I'm Jewish, but I went to an Anglican school for four or five years mm-hmm. and I felt like that was the best education I ever gotten what Canada is, and, and how so I don't know just these these very rich girls with their horses and their fathers and their mothers and just the way everything looked and the way their lives were in their houses. And I was just like, right, this is the, this is the Canadian or the Toronto elite. And just like seeing it from the perspective of a 12 year old, uh, you know, of 12 years old, it kind of demystifies it or makes it kind of intimate in a way. And now even as a grown up, like I know those are the people that like, those are the people that are running the country. Are those are the people that are supposed to be the ones we're trying to impress or something? Yeah, it just is like, you know, that that person's alcoholic dad, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know.
0: Yeah, it doesn't like you're not gonna aim for that.
1: No, it just there's just like nothing. (laughs) There's nothing in it. That's
0: not the brass ring. No. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, I'd rather have like some New Yorkers alcoholic dad. (laughs) I'm not as intimate with that. You know, you always kind of want like. But yeah, no. I mean, I think that I think that was really useful at being at that school and seeing,
0: yeah, and seeing those at that age up close. Yeah, right. Some people are really tortured, like wither Canlit, and when are we going to get our act together? And you know, like I, I don't sense that those questions bother you so much.
1: No, because there's like individual writers in this country who are really great, and they'll be fine. And like Canlit doesn't matter. Like individual writers matter mm-hmm. in any country.
0: You were. Uh shortlisted by Time Magazine Oh yeah one of the most influential people of 2013 it's 2014 bitch
1: yep <laughs> I'm not almost influential anymore <laughs>
0: you're gonna make a run for it most influential getting your shit together
1: nope oh thank you Sheila you're welcome
0: <laughs> that's the show hope you liked it Check out the website, if you haven't lately, at canadalandshow.com. I think I'm going to throw up a new video this week, and there will be an interview, a text interview with Tom Skoka of Gawker Magazine up, I think, sometime this week. It should be up there. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I make this show with Tanara Yelland. There will be another one up on Monday. If you like Canada Land, recommend it.